Hello, and welcome to the City Church Evansville podcast. My name is Sean Little, and I'm the community and teaching pastor here at City Church. I want to welcome you, and thank you for joining us. Today, Lead Pastor Jeff Kincaid continues in our new series, Zero Hour, where we're looking at the book of Daniel and seeing examples where faith and persecution intersect. Well, last week we began a new series that's entitled Zero Hour, What Will You Do? And what we're asking in this series is is just this. If you ever came to a place where you had to choose between Christ, excuse me, choose between denying Christ or experiencing persecution, which would you choose? Which would you choose? Now, fortunately, that hasn't been much uh, of an issue here in America to date, But there are signs that that may be changing. Listen to this. A recent poll by CNN and the Kaiser Family Foundation found that 89% of white working class evangelicals think that American society is hostile toward Christian values. Not just in in disagreement, but hostile toward Christian values. And as I mentioned last week, many Highly respected Christian leaders are noticing an increasingly anti-Christian sentiment in America and are beginning to write about this. Dr. James Emery White of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary wrote about this very issue. And and we're going to put up uh, on the screen here what he said because I want you to be able to see exactly what he had to say about this. He says, what is happening in America is an increasing hostility and intolerance toward Christian beliefs and values that many perceive to be an attack on religious freedom. In current American culture, you're free to be a Christian as long as you don't actually live out your faith, vote your faith, take a stand in relation to your faith, or believe others should embrace your faith. In other words, it can be privately engaging, but it must remain socially irrelevant. But there's more. There is a real concern, he says, that the growing insistence that faith be privatized has now become a demand for faith to be compromised. It's not enough that your beliefs can't influence society. You must also embrace society's beliefs. And then he quotes Jonah Goldberg, a writer in the USA Today, who said that the opposition to many Christian values has become, and if you're not with us, you're against us mentality. Those are ominous words. Now, even as I say that, I want you to understand that the purpose of this series is not to create fear or to somehow scare you into taking your relationship with Christ seriously. Not at all. That's not the purpose. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't about fear. And so if I were to be using fear here to try to scare you into something, that would be unbiblical. It would be, that would be antithetical to the gospel. I'm not using fear in any way, shape, or form. No one knows whether things will become so bad in America that you'll someday be forced into your own personal zero hour. No one knows that. But the New Testament is full of reminders that the world hates Christ followers and that we should be sober and alert and be prepared for persecution of any kind that comes our way. And it's my job as a pastor 
to do everything that I can to make sure that you are prepared. And to that end, we're looking at a few passages in this series from the book of Daniel in which a few young men faced conflict and they faced persecution because of their faith. We want to see if we can learn from their experiences. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me in it to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, it's in the Old Testament. It's one of the books of the prophets. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to look at this passage that we looked at last week again. Last week we looked at Daniel chapter 1 sort of from a 30,000 foot perspective. I want to look at it again uh, this morning in a more granular perspective because I think that there are some very important things that we need to see that we didn't have time for last week. Now again, let me just give you a little about the context Uh, here's where the timing of this is happening. The people of Israel have been exiled from their land. They're no longer a sovereign nation. Uh, They've been exiled because God is disciplining the nation. They have continually, repeatedly, routinely worshipped false idols. And so God has allowed them to be taken away from their land. The king of the Babylonian empire, Nebuchadnezzar, conquered Israel. And he's taken them captive, and he's deported many of them to Babylon. I want to start reading again from verse 3. Verse 3, Daniel chapter 1. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To to Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, very quickly, some of you might be wondering, why not any girls? Why are there no girls, young women, in this group? And, you know, some people would read a passage like this, and they would see it as an example of the Bible's uh, misogynistic, patriarchal views. But that's not the case. The Bible isn't being prescriptive here about how things should have been done. This is merely descriptive of the Middle Eastern culture of that time, and by the way, much of the Middle Eastern culture today as well, in which women and girls were and are looked at as second-class citizens who have very few privileges. Education just wouldn't have been an option for girls in that culture. Now, as as it relates to the guys that are mentioned here, I want you to get a picture of these guys, especially of Daniel himself. That's who the book is named after, of course. As I said last week, we know from some of the internal markers in this book that Daniel was around 16 years of age. He's the brightest and the best of the students in his high school. He's a straight-A student. He's extremely good-looking. He's extremely fit. He's a three-sport athlete. He comes from a very good home in which he's had a very godly upbringing. All of the Babylonian girls stalk him on Instagram. They try to slide into his DMs. They would just happen to show up places that he went and just happen to be wearing their make-him-notice outfit. 
They constantly checked their phones to see if he had texted them. Or Miracle of Miracles actually used his phone to call them. By the way, I'm going to write a book called Real Men Don't Text. And the subtitle of this book is going to be How to Use the Phone to Ask a Girl Out. It'll be a bestseller. Don't you think so? Yeah, ladies, yes. Anyway, you get the picture, right? This guy, he's the bomb, and, and he's enrolled with four of his friends in the premier education program in the land, and he's being fast-tracked into the king's service. And if he and his friends played their cards right in school, they would be given top jobs with the best salaries in all of the known world at the time. Now, this is, this is an enormous privilege for these young men. It's an enormous privilege. They were probably afraid when they were called in for this. They were probably afraid that they were going to be persecuted, tortured. But instead, they're given this unbelievable opportunity to serve in the king's court in the Babylonian empire. But as we talked about last week, Daniel is going to find himself in the middle of a conflict between his faith and the values of the culture that he lives in. And here's what I want to do in our uh, remaining time. I just want to look at this conflict that Daniel is going to find himself in. And I want to talk for first about the cause of this conflict. Then I want to talk about how Daniel handles this conflict. And then finally, I want to look at the result of this conflict. The cause, the handling, and the result of this conflict that Daniel is going to find himself in. And the reason, again, that we're doing this is so that we can learn When we face our own zero hours, how are we supposed to respond? How can we respond in a way that is is honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, so the cause, the handling, and the result of this conflict. Let's start with the cause of the conflict. Now, if we hadn't looked at this passage last week, or if you weren't here, and if I told you that there's going to be this conflict between Daniel and the culture of Babylon right away, as I read this passage so far, I see three possible causes of the conflict that you might guess. First, you might ask this. Is, is it the changing of their names that's going to cause the conflict? Is, is that the issue? Why might that cause a conflict? Well, you know, their Hebrew names all pointed to the God of Israel whom they worshipped, all of these young men. For instance, Daniel's name meant God is my judge. And so is it a problem for these guys that these new names that they were given actually pointed to the heathen gods of Babylon instead of the God that they worship? Surely that's the conflict, you say. But it's not. That doesn't turn out to be the issue. Here's why. None of us have any choice about our names, at least when they're originally chosen for us, right? Somebody else gave it to you. You may have come from a family with a bad name in this community. But no matter what your given name, you're responsible to live above that name. I mean, just because you're given a name, it doesn't reflect necessarily who you are. Honestly, I've been called a lot of names in my life. I can't even repeat some of them this morning. So names aren't always a true representation of the character of the person. So no matter what his name, Daniel didn't have to change his internal allegiance to the God of Israel. So that didn't turn out to be the issue. Okay, well, if it's not that, you might ask, how about this whole thing about having to attend uh, a Babylonian school? He's supposed to, three years, he's supposed to be in this school where he's learning all of this Babylonian 
literature and things. Is that the cause of the coming conflict? And it would make sense that you would ask that because you know there's so many people who have these very strong opinions about whether kids should go to public school or private Christian school or be homeschooled. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to guess that the monotheistic Hebrew Bible wouldn't have been on the curriculum in this polytheistic school. I can promise you it wasn't, in fact. In fact, much of what they were taught was going to be in direct conflict with what Daniel and these young men believed and with their upbringing. But, interestingly enough, that doesn't turn out to be the cause of this conflict either. Why? Well, the answer is, you know, education, even a pagan education, isn't inherently evil. I hope those of you who are students here this morning, I hope you realize that the purpose of your education, high school, college, the purpose of your education is for people to communicate ideas that other people have about the world. But you're not required to agree with or believe all of them. You may have to give them answers on a test that they're looking for. But you're not required to believe all of those ideas. In fact, the purpose of education is to teach you to think critically, to analyze, is this right, is this wrong? Do I believe this? Do I not believe this? So students, catch that, understand that. That's the purpose of education, to teach you to think critically. And then parents, I hope the fact that this wasn't a conflict for Daniel is an encouragement to you. Sometimes we as parents get, we get extremely worried at the prospect that our children are going to bring home things from what we would call their secular education that are in direct conflict with the biblical values of their home. But listen, that, that's not a new thing. In fact, I will tell you, that's the normal situation for the people of God in most parts of the world. Daniel reminds us that a secular education doesn't have to overwhelm a person's faith. And instead, it can even be the anvil on which a mature faith can be hammered out. And and I've seen that happen to many, many kids who've attended public schools. I'm not against private schools. I'm not against homeschooling. I'm just saying to you that I've seen many kids who've gone to public schools come out with a very mature faith because they've been challenged about what they believe and they've had to learn to think critically. So I hope that's an encouragement to some of you. But that doesn't turn out to be the issue. Going to this public, secular, pagan school. So then, the only other thing that you might ask about is, well, was, it, was it this whole thing about having to eat the king's food Is that what's going to cause the conflict that's coming in this passage? Well, not quite. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who is assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And by the way, he doesn't mean that metaphorically. He means that literally. The king would literally have his head. 
Now, on the surface, it looks like food is the issue. Like eating this royal food, that that's the issue. I said last week that some people have suggested that the reason Daniel didn't want to eat this food for the king's table was because of dietary laws in the Mosaic law. Other people have suggested that it was because this food was sacrificed to idols. Neither of those uh, are the issue. This wasn't about the food itself. Daniel would have been perfectly free to eat this food. Here was the cause of the conflict. Here's what caused this whole conflict. Daniel's voluntary exercise of restraint to prevent the erosion of his soul. Let me say that again. The cause of the conflict was Daniel's voluntary exercise of restraint to prevent the erosion of his soul. And here's what I mean by this. The cause of this conflict wasn't the name change. It wasn't the Babylonian school. It wasn't even the food itself. The cause of the conflict was Daniel's concern that if he, that if he just indulged in this high life that he was being privileged to live, that it would defile him. Daniel wanted to voluntarily sacrifice all of the great tasting food because he didn't want all of the luxuries available to him to corrupt him. He didn't do this because he had to. He didn't do this to make God love him more. He didn't do this because it was part of the law. He did it as a spiritual discipline for himself. Now that's a big deal, folks. That's something that all of us really ought to pay attention to. That Daniel was more concerned about the erosive effect of the luxuries of life than the change of his name or a secular education. Parents, I hope that you're you're seeing this. That the worst thing that you can do for your kids is to give them everything. Like that they never want for anything. I've known families who put their children in in private Christian education because they were very concerned about the things that their kids were going to be taught that ran contrary to their beliefs. But at the same time, they fed their kids every luxury they could feed them. Whatever they wanted, they got. And it was only the best. The best vacations. The best of everything. The best cars. The best... I hate to pick on, well, I, look, you, you won't know this person. This person lives down in Dallas. But uh, this uh, one person, uh, this one family gave their daughter, she was in high school, they gave her a used Mercedes Benz uh, to drive. This was, this was her thing. Now, that was their choice. That's fine. You know, if you want to do that, that's fine. But when she got ready to get married, that new young husband had some very high standards that he had to meet. And she said, about her Mercedes-Benz that she drove, she said, but it was used. Well, yeah, it was used, but still, man, it's created some very high expectations. Understand, I'm not against Mercedes-Benz. If you want to give your kid one, that's, that's your business. I'm just saying that Daniel is more concerned about all of that kind of stuff than he was a secular education. And so be very careful, parents about all the stuff that you give your kids, it's okay for them to want. It's okay for them to want for something. 
heard a guy one time, he was talking about the fact that he took his kids to Disneyland, and like they, they were in the car on the way back, and, and, and you know, uh, actually, no, he took, you know what, he didn't take them to Disneyland, he took them to Six Flags, they were in the car on the way back, and the kids were complaining, they were complaining about, about the fact that they went to Six Flags because some of their friends got taken to Disneyland, and he, he was like, he was like, he told them, he said, he said, stop your complaining, you guys don't need Disneyland, you need third world land. That's where you need to go just to understand that some people want for something. That's okay for your kids to want something. For everyone here, not just parents, Daniel is choosing not to eat the best food available voluntarily as a spiritual discipline. It's not about the food. Get it? It's not about the food. God doesn't love him more for this. Daniel's not, Daniel's doing it because he loves God and he doesn't want to get to a place that he loves the high life more than God. I suppose if it were a different circumstance, it might have been something else that Daniel would have sacrificed. But in this particular circumstance, this is what he chose. And I ask you, have you ever thought of doing the same thing from time to time, voluntarily sacrificing something? to keep the erosive effect of the culture at bay and to train your body to be in subjection to you rather than you to your body. You know, every one of your bodily impulses don't have to be indulged. Have you ever thought about doing something like this? For instance, I don't know, maybe maybe limit, for instance, the TV you watch. Turn it off by 9 o'clock, maybe. Or turn off your cell phones when, they, when you come to church so that we're not all aware of what's happening, right? Um, some people choose to fast a meal or uh, uh, maybe they choose to fa- fast a, a, couple of, uh, a, a couple of meals in a week just to discipline their bodies so that their bodies serve them, not them serving their bodies. Okay, everybody want to know, check your phone right now if you would. Just check your cell phones. There's some kind of alarm about the weather. Go ahead. Go ahead. Pull your cell phones out. Everybody check them. Let's do it. Just check your phones. What's the alarm? Flash flood. Like, yeah, it's raining. <laughs> Last night, 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm getting these alarms on my phone, flash flood. I'm like, I'm in bed. What do I care about a flash flood? You don't need to tell me that. Don't wake me up for that. Okay, the message here is to be intentional about not allowing culture to erode your will and your soul. That's the message of this part of the book of Daniel. That's the cause of the conflict. It's not the food itself, all right? Okay, let's move on. I want to move on from the cause of the conflict now to the handling of this conflict. Look at verse 11, and this is where things are going to get uh, testy. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had pointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this. And he tested them for 10 days. Now, a few things that I want you to notice here as well. First, I want you to notice that when Daniel finds himself in this situation, he didn't overreact. 
He didn't overreact. I don't know if you noticed or not, but back in verse 8, it says that on the one hand, Daniel was resolved not to defile himself. But on the other hand, it says that he asked. He resol- he's resolved, but on the other hand, he asked the chief official for permission. He asked. He didn't demand. He didn't stomp his feet. He didn't throw a Christian temper tantrum. Why? Why doesn't he do that? Well, listen to me. I want you to hear this. Not every conflict we have with our culture is a do-or-die conflict. One of the lessons that we learn here from Daniel's example about facing our own personal zero hour is that we need to make sure that whatever we're facing is a zero hour or a do-or-die kind of situation. And if it's not, don't overreact. For instance, if Starbucks doesn't want to put Merry Christmas on the side of their, on the side of their cups, that's not a zero hour, do-or-die thing. Like, it's sad, but it's not a do-or-die thing. We don't have to boycott and be outraged about that. If Disneyland wants to have a day for gay people, that's not a zero-hour, do-or-die situation. We don't have to walk around with uh, signs of Mickey in a mousetrap. We don't have to do that. Too often, individual churches and groups of Christians overreact to conflicts, and as a result, in our culture today, Unfortunately, Christ followers are known more for what we're against than what we are for. So make sure that it really is a zero-hour, do-or-die kind of situation before you act like it's one. Second, I want you to notice that Daniel, in this circumstance, provides a reasonable alternative and one that requires faith. He actually listens to the chief official's fears. Like he doesn't, he doesn't ignore them. And then he suggests what he hopes the chief official will consider a win-win uh, alternative, a 10-day trial. And did you notice what he said about the results of the trial? He said, at, he said at the very end of proposing a trial, he said, treat your servants in accordance with what you see. What's, what does that mean? What does that mean? In other, he doesn't know if this is going to work or not. He doesn't know if this 10-day trial thing is going to work. He doesn't know what God's going to do. What it means is that if it doesn't work out, he's saying, we'll eat the vegetables. This is why I'm saying this isn't a thing about the Mosaic law, about a dietary law, or about food sacrifice titles. In those cases, he wouldn't have said that at the end. It's about a a voluntary act of discipline that Daniel is undertaking for himself. Because he says, if it doesn't work out, we'll eat the vegetables. And again, you see, he doesn't see this as a zero-hour, do-or-die thing. He sees it as a conflict, but not as a zero-hour thing. Now, let's do something dangerous this morning. Why not? Let's, let's ruffle some feathers. I want to take this... I want to take these principles that we learned from Daniel here, how he handled this situation, and I want to apply it to a situation that happened not all that long ago that most of you will remember. A woman in Kentucky who was a follower of Christ worked for the government, and she was faced with a conflict. The Supreme Court had ruled that gay couples could marry. Her job involved issuing marriage certificates 
two couples who were getting married, and she felt that she would be violating her beliefs if she signed marriage certificates for gay people. You guys remember, the, remember this whole scenario? Remember what happened? Okay. It became a big deal. Big deal. Now, for many reasons that I don't have time to go into today, I share this woman's concerns about gay marriage. But I want to apply how Daniel handled his conflict to the way that that woman handled her conflict. First, let's ask that question. Was it a do-or-die situation? And the answer is no. No one was forcing her to state that she believes in gay, gay marriage or go to jail. I mean, that's what she turned it into, but that wasn't being forced on her. Second, what was a reasonable alternative to her situation that she might have proposed that, could have, that would have required some faith? Well, imagine that she might have said to her supervisor, just imagine that, well, you know, if she would have said this, listen, I know that, you know, that, I know that gay marriage is now the law of the land. And to be honest, like I feel that conflicts, that conflicts with my belief and it's my name on those marriage certificates and it kind of feels like when I sign those that I'm endorsing gay marriage. And what if she would have gone on to say, I'd like to find a workable solution for everyone here because I really like my job and I really like all the people that I work with. But if we can't find one, uh, I'll understand and I'll just quietly step down from my job because I'm not trying to cause trouble for anyone else and I'm not trying to be defiant. Perhaps she could have gone on and asked, hey, could, is it possible that the people who work for me, like my deputies, could they sign these documents? Or she might have said, uh, is there another department that I could work for that wouldn't require me to do this? Now, both of those would have required great faith in God. Maybe God will do to her boss what he did to the chief official in this passage. Move on her boss to show her favor. Maybe he won't. In which case, if he doesn't, she accepts the loss of her job as a small sacrifice for Christ and trusts that she'll find another job. I'm going to suggest that she would have had a far more positive impact for Christ by doing that than by all of the defiance and by going to jail when it wasn't necessary and by bringing attention to Christianity in a negative way in our culture. See, here's the thing. I want you to hear this. The New Testament, which, by the way, was written under the reign of the wicked, murderous, Christian, persecuting Roman emperor Nero, The New Testament only allows believers in Christ to defy Nero's government if it required them to violate God's truth. If it required them to violate God's truth. In other words, if you have another option, even if you don't like the law, if you have another option, you can't defy your government. Work for changes through legal means, absolutely. But don't defy your government or your employer unless it's a do-or-die situation. So here's the point. Here's what what we're trying to, here's what Daniel's example 
uh, teaches us here. When you face conflict between your faith and the values of the culture, you need to be very wise and very determined, uh, very discerning to determine if this really is a zero-hour situation where you have to make a decision between denying Christ or experiencing persecution. And if not, if it's not, don't overreact. Provide as many reasonable alternatives as you can, trusting in God's wisdom for the results, come what may. That's the handling of this conflict. Now, I feel certain there are some of you that disagree with me on this, and that's fine. We can all agree to disagree. And you're free to be wrong as much as you want to be wrong. But let's move on. Okay, my last point, very quickly. I want to look at the result of this conflict. Verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And as I said last week, this, of course, is a miracle that after 10 days, guys eating just vegetables would look more healthy than guys eating the royal food. In this particular case, the result of the conflict was favorable to Daniel and his friends. God intervened and somehow, miraculously, made them look healthier than the others. Okay? But there's no promise that God will do the same for you or for me in every situation. He may or he may not. Regardless of whether he came through or not, I would suggest to you that the bigger result of this whole conflict that Daniel found himself in was that God used this particular conflict to prepare Daniel and his friends for some much bigger conflicts that we're going to see them face in the passages that we're going to look at in the next few weeks. See, I want you to understand that every conflict that you face, every time you have to make a decision like this, I want you to understand that God is in the testing of your life. He's using it to prepare you for something. Scottish pastor by the name of Sinclair Ferguson writes this. He says, all too frequently, we take a different view of our trials and temptations. We view them as isolated nightmares. God, however, sees them from a different perspective. They are important and connected punctuation marks in the biography of grace he is writing in our lives. See what he's saying? This is all part of God's plan for your life, who he wants to turn you into, what he wants to do with your life. Whatever your face, whatever trials you face, whatever tests that you face, whatever zero hours that you come to, whatever conflicts that you face, and the way that you handle those, all of those are preparation for things God wants to do in your life and preparing you for bigger things, bigger conflicts, that may come in the future. We don't know. Let me close with this. Centuries later, a greater Daniel would come, who even though he was rich in all of the luxuries of heaven, voluntarily sacrificed all of that and became poor for our sake. And who faced test after test and trial after trial, all of which were preparing him the New Testament says, for the ultimate test of his obedience. And who, just as Daniel was resolved 
In his decision in this passage, the gospel writer Luke says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set out resolutely, just like Daniel, to go to Jerusalem, where, as you may know, Jesus was crucified as God's sacrifice for the sins of humanity. Now listen, some of you here this morning are Daniels. You're the upper crust. Man, you're the cream of the crop. You come from good families. You're smart. You're successful. And you're a good person. I want you to know, you need to understand that Christ sacrificed his life because you are so prone to evil, even in your goodness, that nothing less than the death of the Son of, the, of, the Son of God on the cross could save you. And so you need, those of you who are in the upper crust, who are the really great people, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There are others of you here who know that, like, you're sinners. You look at your life, you're like, yeah, it's clear that I'm, <laughs> clear I'm a sinner. Look at, look at how I've messed up my life. You need to know that God so loved you in the midst of whatever mess that you're in, that he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for you. And if you will just believe on Christ, I'm not, it's not, I'm not saying believe on Christ and clean up your life at the same time. No, sir. I'm saying if you will just believe on Christ, you become a part of the family of God. And one day, the Bible says that you will eat the food from the table of the King of Kings at a feast that is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Just believe. Just believe. And then for those of you who have already believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to know this, and this is going to ruffle some feathers too. You need to know that however you respond in your zero hour, the gospel says that won't change God's approval of you. If you were to deny Christ in your zero hour, you won't lose your salvation. And so you ask, well, then why in the world wouldn't I deny Christ and just not suffer? Here's the answer. Because if you know him, you love him. And you would never deny the one who gave up his life so that you could live. And so it's out of love, not fear. That's why if you ever face your own personal zero hour, you won't deny Christ because you know him. And to know him is to love him. But I want you to hear me. To know him, you've got to spend time with him. And maybe it's time for you to make some voluntary sacrifice of perhaps some of your time so that maybe you could know him better, so that you could know him more intimately, so that you could pray, so that you could read what he has to say in the Bible, what he says about his love for you. Maybe that would be a good idea. Because to know Christ is to love Christ. And if you know him, you won't want to deny Christ in your own personal zero hour because to know Christ is to love Christ. It's not about fear. It's about love. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. There is every temptation, Lord Jesus Christ, when we read about passages like this and when we consider what may happen in the future, 
Uh, There's every temptation to become uh, full of fear. Lord, I pray that you would take away that fear because the Bible says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We have nothing to fear. We are in your hands. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning are in your hands and, and in your hands Lord, that's, that's the safest place to be. Yeah, there may be persecution, but it's still the safest place to be. Lord, give us the courage. The courage to love you, to always affirm our faith in you no matter what comes. But Lord, I pray too that you would give us the desire to know you on such an intimate basis that we would never want to deny you, no matter what the suffering, no matter what the consequences. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray these things today. Amen. We have a saying at City Church that goes like this, the cross changes everything, even our understanding of conflict and suffering. Jesus, in the ultimate conflict between good and evil, suffered for you and me, suffered for all of us. And so, for those of us who believe in Jesus, if our faith ever requires that we be persecuted, we too can suffer out of love, not out of fear. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, for the City Church Evansville podcast. If you'd like to come and visit us on a Sunday at either 9.15 or 11 a.m., we'd love to have you. We're in downtown Evansville at 314 Market Street.